Welcome to a special edition of Growing in Grace with Mike Kapler and Joel Brzezinski at growingingrace.org. To celebrate the occasion of our 400th podcast, we've put together three bonus podcasts featuring gig bites from the last 100 podcasts. You know those little highlights that we put up on the webpage each week along with each podcast? Here's Gig Bite Bonus Part 3. And when do you hear that one preached as well? The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. That's what the law does. And God knew that that would happen. But he also knew what the answer would be. We need life. And life and overcoming comes through Jesus Christ himself. We join together with him in his life. That's where the answer is. If those old sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, if they would have worked, if they had done their job, if they would have permanently resolved sin, then number one, they wouldn't have been offered anymore. And number two, people would no longer have that, that consciousness of sins. They wouldn't even have to think about sin anymore because it would have been put away with it. It would have been dealt with. And of course, the Old Testament sacrifices could not do that. One sacrifice of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ did do that. We were crucified with Christ. We died into the death of Jesus and we rose again with him into a new life. And it's a new life that's not based on a standard of morality, but it's a new life that's based upon God's very own righteousness itself. God gave us his righteousness. He placed it into us. And uh, we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes around Christmas time, you'll, you'll see these banners or these signs, you know, that proclaim peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And, and they're usually referring to us extending goodwill one to another, which is okay. It's just that that's not what this is talking about. It's, it's God extending goodwill toward man. One of the most important announcements in the Bible, right there in this passage in Luke chapter 2, Joel. God didn't give his son for the purpose of bringing more condemnation into the world, for the purpose of bringing more separation between us and him. But he gave for the purpose of bringing us together with him, for the purpose of, like we talked about last week, that we could have peace with him. So I'm looking this word free up in the Greek, and it blew my mind. You know what free means in the Greek? It means this, to make free. That blew me away. <laughs> wow. I wow, mean, let's wow, meditate you know, on that. talk about a revelation. But it goes on to say this, in all seriousness, uh, to set at liberty from the dominion of sin. And where this word originates from, it comes from the word that means freeborn, one who is not a slave, uh, one who ceases to be a slave, uh, not bound by an obligation in an ethical sense, free from the yoke of the Mosaic law. Christ's life is in us. We died, and the life that we now live is Christ's life in us. That is our life. And so it's not like we're trying to get more of God, but we already have all of God. We have everything that pertains to life and godliness. So growing in grace isn't a matter of trying to become something more, uh, but in a sense, it's really growing in the knowledge of what we already have and uh, living that out day by day. You are complete in him. That is the true you. That is who you are. Spiritually speaking, the core of who you are, righteous, 
complete, holy. You are God's child. You're royalty. And growing in grace isn't a matter of you trying to become any more of this, but, but really it's trusting in God's life in you to bring out all of this that's already true of you. Let's, let's just say the ocean out there surrounding Maui, Joel, th that's grace. And I would like to wish you good luck if you're going to go out and start walking somewhere off the island and, and try to get away from grace somewhere. You, you can't do it. Our, our life in Christ is surrounded by grace, and, and you can't just depart from it and uh, focus on some other different doctrine that may or may not have anything to do with the good news. So by grace through faith, and Joel, what catches my attention about this passage that sometimes gets overlooked is that grace through faith, even that is a gift. It's not something that you and I can somehow grow in through you know, our own strength or our own development. It's just something that God gives us the ability to believe. And that in and of itself is even a gift. All of Romans, all of Galatians, all of Ephesians, all of Philippians, all of these epistles that Paul wrote where he talked so in-depth about how to be saved, what salvation is, what righteousness is, what justification is, all of those things. He talked about those in-depth, and he never once mentioned baptism as uh, going along with any of those things. And again, you know, we're not putting down baptism. There is a place for baptism in the life of, of a Christian, but it's more of a, of a symbolic thing. The perception this person, this Christian person had, was that uh, if Jesus were talking to a bad person, a businessman who, you know, just did a lot of wrong things, then Jesus would be there to wag his finger at him, you know, as if he was scolding him. And that's how people sometimes picture God, and they get this message sometimes through, uh, you know, religious circles that, you know, in places where people don't really understand what love is. And so I attended uh, a church I hadn't been to for a long time, and it just so happened that the pastor of this church had gone through what I would call a grace revolution, where he began teaching something that was in many ways quite different from what he had taught in the past. And the first message he taught hit me between the eyes. He was talking about the confession of sin, and um, I won't go into the entire message, but let's just say some of the things that I was trying to piece together that weren't adding up he was teaching some things there that suddenly answered some of my questions. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that all of this is about for me, is that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and so we need to stand firm in that freedom and not be a slave to bondage anymore, and that bondage, of course, is the law. It's a performance mentality. And so when you hear things that set you free like that, your life changes. God has already approved of you, but not because of your ability to pay back a debt. You know, you, you've done things wrong, right? We all have, of course. Um, that's why Jesus came. But you see, God knows you can't pay that debt back. He, he's known it all along. Uh, he's not surprised by this. He's, he's not expecting anything, anything from you. There's no way that we could owe God something that we could actually afford to pay back. The Christian life is so much more than just kind of sitting around waiting for heaven. Uh, in the meantime, yeah, we deal with stuff. We deal with some happy things. We deal with some sad things. We deal with all kinds of stuff. But the reality of our identity, the reality of this uh, life that we have in Christ, where Christ himself has come to dwell in us, 
I mean, that's not small stuff. The riches we received from Christ, it has provided for us with everything that pertains to life and godliness now. We have these things. We're not striving to try to get them. All the goodness of God has been placed in us through Christ. It already is there. The finished work of Jesus, you know, the work that Jesus had done when he said it is finished, that was the work through which we would be sanctified, perfected forever, as the book of Hebrews says, and brought close to God, in fact, made one with God, to be in union with him. That's the work that Jesus finished, something that we could never do on our own. The demonstration of God's love was found in the death of Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But much more than having been justified by what? By his blood. Now, if you don't think Jesus was meant to die uh, for some reason, or he wasn't meant to be punished or scourged, or that somehow that wasn't God's will, then how are we justified? We're justified by his blood that was shed at the cross. Jesus Christ suffered a brutal death at the cross and shed a lot of blood. But you know what? Since the beginning, there has been a heavenly altar waiting for blood to be placed on it. Not the blood of bulls and goats, like the fake altar in the temple, the Jewish temple at that time, but the real heavenly altar, uh, the Holy of Holies. And Jesus was able to go and do that and has become our high priest. I realized, okay, Paul says I'm not under law, so what Jesus says here, that's not to me. That's a teaching to those who are under the law. And things began to fall in, in place for me right there and then, uh, just knowing that the only way that my righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees is if my righteousness is no longer my own righteousness, but it's God's righteousness that has been given to us as a gift. You know, if Paul says that we're under grace, that we're not under law, but under grace, well, why didn't Jesus just teach grace all the time? But it goes back to the whole purpose that he came, the reason he came. He had to fulfill the law. He had to perform that ministry, so to speak. He had to do that. It was necessary, as the scriptures had foretold. And then, through his sacrificial death and his resurrection, all of the uh, good things of God's grace are freely ours. Not everything, but a lot of what Jesus, where he was coming from, was from the origin of the law. And it's a performance-based approach. He was just trying to show people, you think you're able to keep this law, whether it was the Pharisees or just your average everyday Joe, but you aren't able to keep it. That's why Jesus started out the Sermon on the Mount by saying the law and the prophets would need to be fulfilled. He didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. However, after Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, the old covenant was abolished. And this is really all a person really needs to do is just be honest with themselves and with God, of course, when they look at everything that the law says. If a person takes an honest look at what the law says and measure that up with how they are living their life, yeah, I'm sure maybe we're doing good on an area or two. But in the long run, if we're honest again, we'll find that all that the law shows us is that we fall short. <laughs> that's, that's really all the law can do. Here's the ministry and the fruit 
of the law. It made people guilty. That's Romans 3.19. It condemned. 2 Corinthians 3.9. It imputed sin to man. So it didn't take away sin. It imputed. It, it charged sin to our account. Romans 5.3. Sin abounded through the law. Romans 5.20. It brought death. That's in Romans 7. It was against us and contrary to us. Colossians 2.14. And it was enmity with us. It was against us. Ephesians 2.15. The forgiveness that comes from God through Jesus Christ was an act that occurred a couple of thousand years ago at the cross. The shed blood of Jesus Christ, this one-time sacrifice, is what provides us with forgiveness. It's already been provided. It's already done. It's, it's a completed work. And this is good news. There are things that we can do in this life, and, and even things that we don't do that might hurt other people that might hurt ourselves or whatever and god doesn't like that you know i mean he, he, because he cares for us i'm not saying he's against us because of those things but he knows the pain that sin can cause that the things that we do that aren't beneficial they can hurt people and that's not grace grace doesn't do that love doesn't do that just about every single reference to the word accuser, it's the people who were zealous for the law, like the scribes and Pharisees, those who held dear to the commandments of Moses. They used this law to whip people with it, with condemnation, guilt, accusations, and that's what these accusers did. But they were law people, Joel. They were those who were self-righteous, who couldn't follow the commandments themselves. The gospel is God's righteousness revealed that's been given to us as a gift, something that we can't establish by ourselves. And so if a person can just get that in their mindset, that it's not about me or anybody else trying to live up to a certain standard, then the judging and the condemnation can end. And we can lift each other up and point one another back to the free gift of the righteousness of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Well, of course, it is true that none of us have attained to righteousness based on our own merit. But today, in Christ, under the new covenant, one of the key components to the gospel is that we have become the righteousness of God in Him. We have become righteous. It isn't by works which we have done, but we are righteous. So if you were to take that statement, there is none righteous, no, not one, pin it up on a billboard for everyone to see, that wouldn't be very encouraging because it's not giving you the whole story. There's this need to feel like there's something we need to do. By and large, most of what religion has taught us in Christianity or any other kind of religion, what, what it has taught us is that it's about performance. The responsibility is on us to perform and live up to a certain standard. And that's why you've got so many people staying away because deep down they know they're not and they just want to go hide in the bushes.